Welcome, welcome, welcome to Darren Dialogues. I'm your host tonight, Shantae Charles. I hope that you've been having a great and wonderful day. We are back in our Women's History Month reading, where we have been reading about iconic women from all over the world, along with Black women singers, or women who sang their ways into music history. So let's start out with Gladys Kalima Zikusoka. I hope I'm saying that right. She is out of Uganda. She was born January 8th, 1970. She is a wildlife veterinarian and conservationist. She says helping animals helps people. When Gladys was a child, she would stay home from school when one of her cats or dogs was sick. In high school, she ran a wildlife club and arranged trips to a national park to see lions, giraffes, and other animals. Though there were few female animal doctors at the time, Gladys was encouraged by her mother to follow her dreams. At 25, she became Uganda's first wildlife veterinarian. At the Bwindi Impenetrable National Park, Gladys studied mountain gorillas. She saw that they were similar to humans. Like humans, they lived in family groups and female gorillas cradled and carried their young. They're very good mothers, she said, and just like her own children, young gorillas were curious and playful. But mountain gorillas were at risk of going extinct. There were only about 650 of them left on the earth. Half of them lived at Bwindi, and Gladys noticed that something was wrong. The gorillas were getting sick with human illnesses. Even though she acted quickly to treat them, one of the baby gorillas at Bwindi died. Heartbroken, Gladys came up with a plan. She started a nonprofit to work with the villagers near the park to reduce the spread of diseases between humans and gorillas. And the number of endangered mountain gorillas increased to more than 1,000. Gladys wants humans and mountain gorillas to exist together in health and harmony. So she now trains young Ugandans in conservation to prevent the extinction of these giant majestic creatures. We might call her the Jane Goodalls of Africa, Gladys Kalema Zikusoka. Pretty cool. Again, at 25, she became Uganda's first wildlife veterinarian. All right, our next person tonight is, I think, very appropriate for where we are in our nation. In case you did not hear the news, um, something that I know my ministry has been praying for for probably since we started, maybe eight, nine years. We have been praying for the United States to do something about lynching. And we've been praying for lynching to become a federal hate crime ever since I did some study and research on lynching many years ago and realized that there was no federal charge for it. You could not, it, it was not considered a hate crime at that point. So we began to actually pray into this and now it has actually passed and now lynching is now a federal hate crime, I believe with a 30 year sentence, mandatory, federal, um, along with some other fines and penalties and things of that nature. 
But it has taken 120 years for that to happen in America. Can you imagine? And they said, um, as I was reading, the first person who actually introduced that kind of a bill was way back in 1900. And so I began to thank God for that one person back in 1900 that had enough insight and foresight to get the ball rolling on legislation that would make lynching something illegal and something that was criminal that you'd actually be charged for. Now, what does that give me as a prophet? That gives me hope (laughs) and that gives me encouragement that everybody may not see why you're doing what you do. Um, Everybody may not even be responding to what you're doing while you're doing it when God is telling you to do it. He didn't live, that person who launched that first bill in 1900 did not live to see this moment that we are seeing. But because they initiated what needed to happen, we received the fruit and the benefit of that initial step. So I hope that you will be encouraged in your own life to take those initial steps that you need to take because people that you've never met who you may never ever meet will be looking back at this time and saying, who was that person that got it all together, that got it all initiated and started? So in that spirit, I want to talk really briefly about Ida B. Wells because you guys know Okay, this is who it is in this house, Ida B. Wells. Yep, thank you, Prophet Jonathan, for putting that in there. Ida B. Wells, journalist, activist, uh, woman, wife, mother, caregiver, all of these things, Ida B. Wells. Born July 16th, 19, excuse me, July 16th, 1862 transitioned March 25th, 1931. So there, we just came past a anniversary of her passing. One of her most famous quotes, the way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth upon them. I love that. When Ida was a baby, the world around her changed in a big way. She was born enslaved in Mississippi. Six months later, the Emancipation Proclamation passed. It granted freedom to Black people in the Southern United States. Ida's parents passed away from yellow fever when she was 16, and she was left to care for her siblings all by herself. Her parents had made sure she got a good education, so she found a way to support her brothers and sisters. She moved to a nearby city, told everyone she was 18, and became a teacher. One day, a young black man Ida knew was killed along with two of his friends by a mob of white men. Many other black men were unjustly killed like this and for the same reason, the color of their skin and their ability to have business and ownership. The term for these shameful killings is lynchings. Ida was outraged, but she didn't just scream and cry. She investigated. Then she published a series of articles in local newspapers and pamphlets. She wanted the world to know what was happening. This was the start of her courageous anti-lynching campaign. 
Ida risked her life to travel around the South investigating and writing about other terrible lynchings. She would often get to the site right after it happened in order to report on it. She also went to Washington, D.C. and urged the president to take action. With her courage and moving words, Ida showed girls and women worldwide how to use their leadership, how to use their storytelling skills to bring difficult situations to light and advocate for positive change. This is Ida B. Wells. One of my sheroes who yet inspires me to continue to do what it is that I do in this space. All right, we're moving to our second and final book for tonight. I highly recommend this book. I've really been thoroughly enjoying all of the uh, knowledge about the iconic singers. And some of them I'm actually going to be going back and um, checking out some of their music and just playing some just so I can get a feel for their voices. This one is called She Raised Her Voice, 50 Black Women Who Sang Their Way Into Music History, especially all of the blues and country singers that I did not know about until I got this book. Tonight, we are going to start out with Jill Scott. Jill Scott is known for the genres of R&B and neo-soul. She is known as a sultry star of soul. She says, you owe it to yourself to live beautifully, and I am. Jill Scott has a soothing and mesmerizing voice that brought an earthy sound to the R&B and hip-hop worlds. After deciding that teaching high school English, yes, Jill Scott was a high school English teacher, was not the perfect path for her, Jill began to perform at open mics. These are events where anyone can go on stage and perform. She started there to share her voice, poetry, and songwriting with audiences in Philly. Through performing, Jill earned the admiration of hip-hop drummer Amir Questlove Thompson of the hip-hop group The Roots. Shout out to Questlove, who recently won his first um, Oscar for the documentary that he uh, put together, Summer of Soul, I believe. Jill was invited to a recording studio to write songs with Questlove, and they came up with a hip-hop love song called You Got Me. Fellow soul singer Erica Badu sang Jill's lyrics on You Got Me, and the song gained popularity with fans. Even though Jill wasn't on the recording, she did sing the song with the roots in a live performance, and her career took off from there. Jill's first album, Who is Jill Scott? Words and Sounds, Volume 1, was released in 2000. It featured a rootsy and soulful song called A Long Walk, which brought Jill great success. Her career grew with her second album, Beautifully Human, Words and Sounds, Volume 2. And while she loved to sing and write songs, she always kept poetry at the center of her heart. In 2005, she released a book of poetry called The Moments, The Minutes, The Hours. Jill has a particularly unique way of making her words flow like a peaceful river. Although she is a talented writer, she also loves to sing songs written by other talented women. In 2007, she sang a Grammy-winning version of God Bless the Child, which was written by Billie Holiday alongside musicians George Benson and Al Jarreau. 
She recorded additional albums over the years, The Real Thing, Words and Sounds, Volume 3, The Light of the Sun, and Woman. Woman became a number one hit record, touching the world with its empowering and sensuous neo-soul songs. Jill Scott comes from the lineage of amazing Black women singers whose voice has stood out from the crowd, staying deeply entrenched in her expressions of love, heartache, and the experience of being a Black woman. Now, I actually really like this particular illustration of Jill Scott. Because to me, it kind of does favor her. All right. Our next songstress, this is yet another painting on my wall. And that is Nina Simone. Born February 21st, 1933. Transition April 21st, 2003. Nina Simone is known for the genres of soul and jazz. She is called the High Priestess of Soul. She said this, I feel what they feel, and people who listen to me know that, and it makes them feel like they're not alone. The larger-than-life, husky, powerful voice of Nina Simone continues to be an inspiration to young people and the world's best musicians to this day. Nina was different, very different. She was a classically trained piano player who could not stand for the injustice of racism throughout her entire life. She became an outspoken civil rights activist who sang songs that railed against the mistreatment of American Black communities. When Nina was 11, she played her first recital at the, at the Tryon Library in Tryon, North Carolina, where her family still lives. While in attendance, her parents were asked to sit in the back of the room because Black people weren't allowed to sit in the front of any public places or on buses as well as being forced to use separate bathrooms from a white patron. This was the law in America, but young Nina refused to play her at her recital until her parents were placed in the front of the performance hall. This marked the beginning of Nina's strong voice and intolerance for unfairness towards black people. Nina was an incredibly talented pianist and she was accepted to study at the prestigious Juilliard School with the plan that she then attend the Curtis Institute of Music in Philly. Her family moved to Philadelphia knowing that she was talented enough to get in, but Nina unfortunately was denied a spot at the school. Hurt and disappointed, she took odd jobs and taught piano from her home for a short while. Things began to look up when Nina landed a job performing at Midtown Bar and Grill in Atlantic City. She wasn't trained to be a singer, but the owner of the club told her she had to sing if she wanted to keep her job. So she did her best to sing like Billie Holiday and other starlets of the past. Until this time, Nina was known by her given name, Eunice Kathleen Wayman, but she changed her name to Nina Simone so her mother would not find out she was playing and singing non-church music. To keep people's attention at the bar, Nina would spontaneously burst into playing classical music. This was when her name and style of music, a mixture of classical, soul, and jazz, was the root of who she would become as a music icon. One of the very few hit songs Nina released was I Love You, Porgy, in 1958. In the 60s, Nina released civil rights songs like Old Jim Crow and Why the King of Love is Dead, which was about the killing of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
Eventually, Nina decided to leave the United States to live in other countries like Liberia and Barbados to escape racism and the silencing of her music by white record label executives who thought Nina was too radical. She finally settled in France where she lived until her death. Nina was a strong-willed, unique, and complex musician who used her voice to cry out against injustice. Because Nina was passionate about everything she did, her songs were deeply emotional and haunting. One of the most deeply emotional and haunting songs uh, that I've heard from her um, singing is uh, Strange Fruit. And also, of course, her other famous song, Mississippi GD. That, yeah, mm -hmm. just look it up. Even her love songs had a tinge of sadness and heartbreak. Her fans connected with her intensity as listening to her music makes one feel as if floating in a sea of beauty and pain. Ladies and gentlemen, the legendary Nina Simone. I must say the painting on my wall looks way, way better. <laughs> I have to post it one day. And finally tonight, this is someone that I've never heard of. So that means I've got to go listen to her music. And that is Sister Nancy. Born January 2nd, 1962, she is still living. She comes from the genre of dance hall reggae. Now I am, con I am familiar with dance hall reggae, but I'm not familiar with Sister Nancy. She was the first lady of dance hall. So that means I got some work to do because I don't know who she is. Isn't that something? She said, I went to school. I could have done more, but what I did was what I wanted, and that was music. Yeah, I'm like, I haven't heard of this lady, but here we go. Sister Nancy made history before her 18th birthday by becoming the first woman dance hall DJ in Jamaica. Dance hall is an upbeat form of reggae music in which mostly men with DJ records at parties, rhyming and entertaining the crowd while they danced. Sister Nancy, whose real name is Offlin, O-P-H-L-I-N, Russell, grew up in a conservative Christian household in St. Andrew, Jamaica, with a large family. She had plenty of siblings to play with and learn from, but it was her older brother, Robert, a well-known DJ in Kingston, Jamaica, who went by the name Brigadier Jerry, who inspired her to find what she truly loved in life. Sister Nancy loved music, and when she was a teenager, she began to go to dance hall parties, sometimes as the only girl in the entire crowd. At 15 years old, with her brother's support, she became the first woman DJ on the dance hall scene, hopping on the mic and playing music for enthusiastic partygoers. She had fun and great success, and she toured often. She was also the first woman dance hall DJ to tour internationally. In 1982, she released her first album, One Two, which had singles like One Two and Transport Connection. These songs spread like wildfire in Jamaica. But while it was true that Sister Nancy was doing well as a DJ, she wasn't making a lot of money doing what she loved. As the time went on, she couldn't afford to live by just playing music, so she left that world and became an accountant. Oh, anyway, 
1996, 14 years after the release of her first album, Sister Nancy moved to America to continue her work in banking. Little did she know she'd find that her song, Bam Bam, was being sampled, which means bits and pieces of her song were used to make an entirely new song by numerous, by numerous hip-hop artists and was even featured in a Reebok commercial. Sister Nancy was very surprised because Bam Bam was not popular in Jamaica, but in America, hip-hop artists, the first being main source in 1991, were making her song a big hit. Bam Bam was sampled more than 73 times by major artists, including Jay-Z, Kanye West, and Alicia Keys. Because of this, Sister Nancy was actually able to receive money for the use of her song. And I know she got paid. <laughs> Somebody say copyright and royalties. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> In 2016, Sister Nancy left her job as an accountant cue the applause, and went back to playing music 30 years after she got her start. Listen, if I had, if I had an organ right now, Prophet Jonathan, I'd say, <laughs> it may not come when you want it. 30 years after she got her start. She is still making her dreams come true with the help of American hip hop stars who were instrumental in helping her secure her rightful place in music history. Now that's probably why we haven't heard of her. Cause everybody out here who got a name was out here sampling that lady work. <laughs> out here just sampling Sister Nancy. Sister Nancy ain't getting no credit, no props. They just sampling and a sampling and a sampling and a sampling. But in due season, Q's organ right there. In due season, you shall reap if you faint not. And she was able to go back and collect. Somebody say back pay. Back pay. <laughs> All right. So that is my readings on tonight. If you would like to jump into the conversation and tell me what inspired you tonight or what stood out to you or what you gleaned from the women that we have read tonight, please feel free to hit the camera and I will happily bring you on. It's conversation time. If you are listening by Anchor, I want to thank you for your time and attention. This has been another episode of Daring Dialogues, and I've been your host tonight, Shantae Charles. Thank you again for your time and attention, and we'll see you tomorrow.